In California, a man who identifies as a woman is on trial for murdering two women and their son. And under California law, he will be sentenced to time in women's prison. In Norway, a man is being praised by Norwegian media for identifying not just as a woman, but as a disabled woman in a wheelchair, even though he is fully capable of walking. Here to break all of this down for us and tell us what's going on behind it is our guest from yesterday, Genevieve Gluck. This is part two of our conversation. Go back and listen to that episode from yesterday if you haven't already. Also, if you appreciate this podcast, please leave us a five-star review wherever you listen. Make sure that you also subscribe on YouTube. That helps us out a lot. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, you see that my laptop is filled with stickers. I'm running out of room. These are all available on our merch shop in our merch shop that we link in the description of this episode. Get your vote sticker before you vote on Tuesday. Our politics matter because policy matters because people matter. Lots of good stuff for you plus other merch. As always, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. That's GoodRanchers.com slash Allie. All right, here is our conversation with Genevieve Gluck. Tell us a little bit about this Dana Rivers trial. I hadn't heard of this until you sent it, actually. Yeah, this is huge, in my opinion. Um, A lot of us feminists in in my camp have been waiting for this trial for five years, I think. Um, But basically, it involves a man who goes by Dana Rivers, who identifies as a woman. He identifies as a lesbian woman, I believe. Um, But he is on trial now for the triple homicide of two women, a lesbian couple and their son. And he was found fleeing the scene. This was in 2016. He was found fleeing the scene of the crime with blood on him, with uh, brass knuckles. Um, He had uh, set fire to the house, allegedly, um, because, again, he's not convicted. But um, there was arson. And these women who were murdered were regular attendees, it's been said, of um, Mishfest, which was an all-women's music festival. Actually, Mishfest, the historical importance of this, and uh, the group Camp Trans that Dana Rivers was involved in. I'm only beginning to understand how important this is um, historically. But anyway, Rivers was lobbying against the women-only policy um, for the Mishfest organization. And uh, the Camp Trans would go outside of the festival and picket and harass them. Um, in some cases, there were stories of, of members of Camp Trans going in and vandalizing their property, um, writing, apparently wrote a message like, um, real women have um, along the walls, things like this, basically just kind of terrorizing the women who wanted to keep their women-only space. Um, but Dana Rivers was actually a prominent trans activist prior to this, so he was fired, or not technically fired, but sort of let go from his job as a teacher uh, in um, early 2000s, I believe. Um And the reason for that was because he had started to do his medical transition, the surgery, but he was openly discussing this with uh, children in in his classes um, and had even brought up um, being 
sodomized as a child and telling children about rape um, and his own genital surgeries. So the board decided to kind of let him go, as it were. He wasn't officially fired, but they didn't renew his contract. And that led to a jumping off point where he then used that uh, to become an activist. And um, yeah, so he he had a platform. He um, was speaking publicly, and then uh, and then this murder uh, occurred in 2016. We're now starting to hear from the trial that allegedly he was involved in a uh, biker gang that one of the women was involved in for a brief time. Um, so there's an implication that he might have been doing this out of some form of act of revenge against them. Wow. 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 And it's kind of, I mean, I guess it's not crazy that we're not hearing more about this. Obviously, some media is reporting on it. Daily Mail is reporting on it, uses she, her pronouns, which is like very confusing and seems to bury the lead a little bit. Um, But also, I mean, I could see some people talking about how this is racialized violence because of who the victims were and their race. But it's so interesting how the intersectionality power structure changes when transgenderism is involved. All of a sudden, that becomes the most protected identity before Black, before gay, before female, before anything else. If it involves a trans person, it seems like the mainstream media won't honestly report on it. Interesting how that hierarchy has worked out. Mm-hmm. I wonder, I mean, I wonder what's going to happen um, in this case. Do you think, I mean, w- well, you might have already mentioned this and I just didn't catch it, but is this person going to be in a female prison? He already has been. So he has been? He already in a fem- Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. Got it. So yeah, so that's the problem, right? So if... If he is found guilty, there are, I think, many women who would feel, you know, justice has been done, except that that can't be the case because then he would be housed in a women's prison. So there's no justice here. Wow. Is there any chance you think that he could be in a male prison because of his past? I don't believe so. No, we're talking about California, so I don't think so. Right. And for people who don't know, I mean, this is something that is common, especially in those deep blue states for men who even have a history of child sexual abuse, a history of sexual abuse of women, of violence against women. They are regularly housed in female prisons, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And resulting in absolute horror for these women, Um, even resulting in rape in some cases. So. Yeah, and that's why the the language game that I think most of the media plays is so confusing because when this is reported on that a female inmate was impregnated by another female inmate, you have a lot of people scratching their heads and wondering, well, how in the world did that happen? That's why, I mean, it's also stupid. We have just allowed ourselves to just spiral into into the stupidity that is gender ideology that we can't even report things that are affecting vulnerable women. You almost wonder if it's by design. I mean, I certainly do sometimes. Um, We're not even supposed to, we can't even refer to ourselves as women according to this ideology anymore because we're supposed to say cis women so that anytime we're trying to think of ourselves, we can't even think of ourselves without thinking of of these men. Yeah. Um, If we follow their terminology, right? I would have to say, oh yes, you know, I have to think, okay, I'm cis, so I'm not 
that. Um, and, and then we keep seeing the erasure of the word woman from yeah. all sorts of things and instead being replaced with terms like uh, menstruator, uh, birthing bodies, uterus havers, vagina owners. Yeah. Um, it's so degrading. Yes, I was thinking about this the other day that women really do get it from both sides. For the women who call themselves men, we have to be called menstruators and uterus havers and birthing people. That's for the women who have decided that they are men who still have the capacity to get pregnant. And then for the men who identify as women, uh, we have to include them in our spaces. We can't even say that while women have vaginas or women have a uterus, like we're not even allowed to say that for the men who identify as women. So both for the people who identify as men and the actual men who identify as women, we who are actually women are the ones who have to compromise our language in our space, in our own identity in order to accommodate these people who are confused. So those of us who aren't confused- have to accommodate our clarity and who we are uh, for their sake. And you just don't see see this really for men. I mean, yes, like I said, there are women who identify as men, but they're not trying to get onto men's sports teams. They're not trying to go to their bathrooms. They're not trying to infiltrate their locker rooms. They're not trying to degrade their language and their identity. And as you said, it's really hard not to see that as purposeful. Mm-hmm. I saw the most shocking thing out of Norway. Norway has some really shocking cases going on at the moment. Um, one example of that being a woman who's being investigated and facing up to three years in prison uh, just for saying that men cannot be lesbians and men cannot be mothers. Three I'm not kidding. Three years in prison. Three years in prison for a hate speech uh, crime. Th- this was all just on Twitter, by the way. This was a series of tweets. She didn't actually say this to anybody's face either. It was just t- tweets. Um, and her name is Christina Ellingson. And she's been, you know, very brave and talking about this and trying to get more attention to this, the problems with this law in Norway. But the really shocking case that I mentioned I want to explain about in Norway was um, I noticed there was this programmer who... He was making um, a a video game basically that revolved around killing women um, that he called TERFs. But when I started to look into him, he he was in a women's uh, locker room a few years ago. Uh, A woman complained that he was in there um, because obviously he was using the showers and he's a man. Um, She complained to the management. Um, He returned a few months later and she complained again. And she was saying, you know, she was actually trying to be polite and saying, I don't mind if you're here as long as you don't as long as you don't use the showers. Um, But then what happened was she was investigated. Actually, he filed a suit against her for discrimination and nearly won. He nearly won. They actually, in their decision to throw out the discrimination suit, they chastised her um, and said that it fit the bill for discrimination, but they weren't going to pursue it. Wow. Wow. I mean, how backwards can things possibly get always at the expense of women and children. Um, Let's stay on Norway for just a second. And this is kind of the last thing that we have time for, although I really could talk to you about these things for the next three hours. Um, This is the headline in Redux. Norwegian man now identifies as a disabled woman 
use his wheelchair almost all the time. I mean, it's almost tiresome how ridiculous this stuff is. Um, This person goes by the name of, I don't really know how to pronounce it, Jorund Victoria Alme, um, said that he had always wished that he had been born a woman and was highlighted, I think, positively by Norwegian media as kind of an activist. But some of the stuff that I've seen you guys uncover. I think Anna maybe uncovered. It was on, um, I think he posted on Reddit that he was actually, um, originally he started this identity as being disabled in a wheelchair because he was turned on by amputees. Like he was turned on by this idea of being a disabled woman. That's how he came to identify as a disabled woman. So break this absolutely beyond parody, but also scary, sad story down for us. So, yeah, it is tremendously sad uh, story. Um, he, he, so he's happily was happily married, I suppose, with his wife of something of like thirty years. They're still together. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, so she she, uh, she was she was diagnosed with cancer, and then he started coming out with with this cross dressing fetish. Wearing her clothing, um, buying a lot of shoes. Again, trans widows talk about how they go through some big life-changing event, whether that's pregnancy or a diagnosis of illness, and then suddenly their partner will come out with this fetish of wanting to be a woman, and they'll, you know, expect a lot of attention for it from their wives, and it's very kind of narcissistic behavior, I think. Um, And in this man's case, it seems to be fitting that pattern. So he started ordering these shoes, uh, dressing up in his wife's clothing. Um, But then his uh, narrative started to change the more that she was upset by this. And she was very open in the media interviews that she gave about expressing how uncomfortable she was at first. But then it got reframed to, I have a body integrity disorder. Um, and I'm suffering and I need your support. And then suddenly, um, her attitude towards everything kind of changed. Again, we see that, um, as a trend as well. So yeah, then he basically started identifying as a disabled woman. Um, his wife had previously worked with disabled children, um, children who were in wheelchairs as at a kindergarten, um, which is, you know, striking to notice that. Um, And he's being celebrated. Uh, He was on Good Morning Norway last week. The outcry was tremendous, as you might imagine, um, with a lot of disabled women uh, vocalizing their disgust and outrage, um, basically having their identity turned into a fetish. Uh, he has no disability, and yet he got a state-sponsored wheelchair. Um, there were women in there talking about how difficult it was for them to get financial aid for a wheelchair for their own child. Um, so, I mean, the, the outcry is there. People were very upset by this. But then you also have the problem of uh, people deleting Uh, comments like Good Morning Norway was deleting comments from their Facebook page because it was called discrimination or, you know, it's not kind. Um, But even then, still within some of the outrage, people would refer to him as she. 
So we can clearly see how insulting it is for someone to pretend to be disabled to fit their fetish. And yet we cannot seem to understand how insulting it is just for women to have our identity taken over in that way. Okay, a lot of you have probably heard of Operation Christmas Child. They're the shoe boxes that you make maybe at church or maybe at your school. You drop off and they send them to kids around the world who don't typically get to experience the joy of Christmas gifts. You fill these boxes with different things that are age appropriate and gender appropriate for each child. If you go to SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC, you can see the types of things that you can fill these boxes with. Toothbrushes, socks, underwear, appropriate toys and games, crayons, things like that. And when you see the videos of kids across the country and typically very impoverished areas opening these boxes, I mean, the joy is just indescribable. It truly makes me cry. Every time I see a picture, every time I see a video of this, just the the simple and pure gratitude that you see in their hearts. And you see why Jesus tells us, that we must have the faith and kind of mimic that childlike faith and joy in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And of course, the Holy Spirit gives us that because you see just how just how pure and just how amazing their joy and gratitude and faith is when they're opening these presents. During National Collection Week that's happening this year, November 14th through the 21st, shoeboxes will be collected across the country at nearly 5,000 drop-off locations. This is a milestone year. Operation Christmas Child expects to collect and celebrate its 200 millionth gift-filled shoebox since it all started in 1993. So go to samaritanspurse.org/occ to learn more about this, and you can see the different drop-off locations. That's samaritanspurse.org/occ. It just—it it really does make you wonder how many people in places of influence are at the very least sympathetic to the kind of perversion that we see affecting women and children. Um, People obviously in media, people in the political sphere. I mean, I think a lot of doctors and pharmaceutical companies, they're probably mostly looking at it from a profit incentive perspective. These surgeries, chopping off the healthy breasts of 12-year-old girls. Um, We've seen that emitted from hospitals in places like California, chemical castration and things like that. I don't know that all those doctors are pedophiles, but it's hard to believe that there aren't um, people in the organizations pushing these kinds of treatments and in academia justifying these kinds of treatments by saying that it saves kids from suicide that aren't just complete pedophiles and perverts. It's mm-hmm. It's got to be that sexual perversion from the very top internationally. And that sounds like a conspiracy theory. But then when you look at all these stories from around the world where this is so obviously happening, I mean, you almost you almost it's almost irrational to say that there aren't people at the top in all these spheres of influence pushing their perverse sexuality. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's a conspiracy theory at all because um, this is the eroticization of power and powerlessness. And those who are inclined to do so tend to have more power than others. Um, Also, hardly anyone bats an eye at the fact that child marriage is still legal in the U.S. Child marriage is still an ongoing issue around the world. Um, So when we talk about, you know, 
In the U.S., it's still legal in some 30 states, I believe. I did not know that. So, yeah, it still goes on in the U.S., obviously to a lesser degree than in other countries, but it's still a, a problem, um, and it's still a problem around the world. So, I mean, yeah. talk about a conspiracy theory. You have countries around the world that allow adult men to marry little girls. Yeah. So, no, I don't actually, I, I don't buy the whole, it's a conspiracy theory. I think um, money combined with predatory sexual interests is a recipe for complete disaster. And yeah. we're seeing that now and we're seeing it spread, um, like a social contagion through social media, through the internet. Yeah. You know, that what you just said made me think of something because obviously in Eastern nations where you see child marriage as the norm and it's not seen as a perversion at all. Um, in India, in the Middle East, it is very normal for even prepubescent girls to be married off to um, adult men. And but they don't have the same they don't have gender ideology. They probably don't have the same access to pornography that we do. Um, it is justified in a lot of cases in just the beliefs or the culture that those countries have. It's just been historically normal. Here in the United States, pedophilia and child marriage has been taboo for a long time. And so I'm. this is just kind of a theory that I have. In order to get it normalized and accepted here in the United States, you kind of have to go through a different avenue. We are not a theocracy. We're not some kind of religious authoritarian regime that allows something um, like uh, like pedophilia. Um, and so you have to play upon what I think is a traditionally kind of Christian idea or a perversion of a Christian idea of being nice and being tolerant and being accepting. So if you bring in the perversion of pedophilia as a marginalized identity that we have to um, accept in the name of love, that we have to kind of protect in the name of empathy, that is how you mainstream it. That is how you normalize it. That is how you eventually legalize it. I think that is probably what's happened here. The, kind of the traditionally Christian idea of loving your neighbor being exploited and manipulated uh, into accepting something that is actually very harmful. Those kind of backdoor ways aren't necessary in other countries in which the idea that we just have to love everyone and be nice to everyone, no matter what their identity is, is not really mainstream. That's kind of my theory of of why these things are ultimately the same, ending the exploitation of women and children, but have gone down a different path to get here, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. I think that makes sense. And I think that if you are someone with a predatory interest, um, you immediately gravitate towards where you can hide the best or get your way the easiest. Um, and so I just happen to see that that being the case with the gender identity movement, um, but also within academia as well. So 
Yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. You have to go down a different avenue to, to get away with this because it is taboo. Um, but it's also really shocking to me that people aren't really putting this together um, or that it seems bizarre to some people to put the two together uh, when we consider the origins of the whole theorizing around this. Um, that basically, you're, you're, they've, they've taken the sexual component out when they use the word gender, and that was deliberate. That was by choice. Um, the man who is credited with having first put the word transgender into print, it might interest you to know, uh, Dr. John Olivan in 1965 did that deliberately in order to uh, kind of downplay the sexual aspect involved in uh, transvestic fetishism in particular. Um, but he also, again, to bring it back to the wives, he would also recommend psychiatrists to convince the women to stay with these abusive husbands because he said if they did not they would act out their fetish in public wow wow this is just oh my gosh there's so many different avenues of this to explore so many different parts of its history that i think are probably even unknown to people like you who spend a lot of time researching it. I, I think people just don't realize how deep its roots are and how it affects so many different spheres in our society. And I think it's really important. I think it's really important for people to know because if people just kind of see the surface of what it is, it can be really easy to be manipulated into accepting seemingly harmless things like taking on preferred pronouns or announcing your pronouns. But it becomes really hard to give in even a centimeter when you realize how deep and demonic and dark all of this is and how harmful it is, that it strengthens your resolve, I think, to push back against it and to say, you know what, I I'm not going to give in on this at all, actually, because I think it's harmful to everyone involved. So that's why I'm thankful for what you do. I know it's it's got to be tough. Like, it's got to be really tough looking into all of this and reporting all of this. Like, how do you, just to end our conversation, like, how do you stay above water emotionally and mentally when you're inundated in this stuff all day? Um, it is, I, I get very, I lose hope sometimes, to be honest. Um, but then I feel hopeful when I see other people starting to have this conversation or um, being able to speak with people who are quite worse impacted by this than I am, um, that really need to have their voices heard, um, to, to know that they're not alone. Um, I'm thinking in particular, again, of, of these wives of some of these men who are trying to leave them, but also the detransitioners or the children or even families who are affected by this. Um, I really think that as we start to bring awareness of this and to speak about it more, um, we're going to see more and more that people across all lines um, are, are being hurt by this. Uh, and and I, I feel hopeful that if we're honest about it and uh, try to help each other and lift each other up, then I think something can be done. And I would just suggest, you know, starting from the top, um, going after the institutions that are promoting this, um, 
asking questions. It can be just as simple as asking questions to your friends, people that you trust. Um, not everyone has to do all of that heavy work or file lawsuits, but just trying to open up the conversation and ask some questions to each other. Do you really think that a child can change sex or should? Uh, you know, these are these are difficult questions to have with people for some reason now. It's so taboo, but it needs to be done. And I do want to just say, uh, this is really important for me to say, because I feel more and more that um, feminism is getting blamed for this, as are um, members of the gay and lesbian community, which I find to be um, quite misdirected anger, uh, because this these groups of people are have been always pushing back against this at great cost to themselves as well. Um, so, so I think that, I think, yes. I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of people who, because they their identity is just to say, oh, well, I'm marginalized, I'm not straight, or I'm not, I, I'm not a white, cisgender, straight male the kind of like apex of privilege in some people's mind, then I have to link arms with all people who see themselves as marginalized. Right. So I do think there's a lot of people who call themselves feminists and who are part of the LGBTQ world who absolutely advocate for a lot of this. Sure, sure. I'm not denying that. I am saying that it, it, because of this, it, it is kind of harder um, for, for those of us who are involved in these communities to speak up and to say something. Um, yeah. But I would say that more or less questioning the role of sexology and academia in this is work that needs to be done. But also at the root of this is a level of sexual entitlement. And if we lose sight of, of that aspect of it, then it's just going to repeat itself, I think. So you can probably tell I'm a little bit under the weather, but let me tell you, I feel a lot better than I did yesterday. And you know why I think I feel better? Because I have been taking Healthy Cell's immune supplement. So Healthy Cell is an amazing multivitamin that's different than all the other multivitamins because it comes in a great tasting ingestible gel form that provides 165% more absorption than pills. Pills are filled with all kinds of binders and glues and fillers that can make it really hard for your body to digest. And you're typically not getting all the nutrients that you are looking to get from these multivitamin tablets and pills. And that's why I love love healthy cell because I know that my body is getting everything that it needs. Also, my mom has been taking their um, their focus multivitamin in this gel form and she thinks it's really made a difference in her clarity of thought and her recall, her ability to remember things. So you should try it out. Go to healthycell.com. That's healthycell.com. Use code Allie for 20% off your first order. Healthycell.com slash Allie for 20% off your first order. Healthycell.com slash Allie. I do. I mean, we have different views on a lot of things. I don't know that I, even though we agree on a lot of, uh, a lot of principles, I don't know that I, I mean, I don't identify 
as a feminist and obviously as a Christian conservative, we have different views. But I do, I have seen that, especially in the UK, here in the US, absolutely. But I guess I've just been watching it more in the UK. A lot of women who call themselves lesbians and lesbian feminists really have been advocating on behalf of women and women's rights at great cost to not just, I'm not just talking about their careers, I'm not just talking about their privileges, I'm talking about their freedoms. Like I am mm-hmm. talking about those who have, you know, had interactions with the police because of things that they have said. Um, and so, and it's, it is about sexual entitlement. You do see a lot of these men saying, oh, why won't this cisgender lesbian date me just because I have a penis? It's very weird. It's so, I'm with you that I do think some of the anger is misdirected. And I, I do kind of cringe when people, when I hear people say, well, where are the feminists? I'm like, they're, they're, they are there. Sure. There's a lot of people who claim to be feminists who aren't, but there's a lot of you who are. And I th- I do think that's kind of just become like a talking point on the right to say, where are the feminists? But there are a lot of feminists out there who are speaking up about this. I think it's funny that at the same time people ask, where are the feminists? Then people also say it's all our fault. (laughs) So I don't know. Um, Certainly one of the original women to push back on this, Janice Raymond, um, in 1979. So feminist women have been talking about this for a while. And that's the reason why there's that word turf. Um, directed at feminists. But anyway, um, thank you so much for giving me room to talk about this. And again, always, I just want people to feel hopeful because I actually do. I think things are starting to change um, in the U.S. now. Uh, The U.K. has been doing a lot of hard work on this, but the U.S. now seems to be kind of picking up on that. So that's great. Yeah. You know, I think so, too. Obviously, it's disheartening every time you see the White House endorsing something like this. Um, And so that can be really difficult. But like you said, there's a lot of people that this is the issue that for them, like things have just gone too far. This is this is the issue, especially when it gets to children. I mean, I also think it's ridiculous as adults, but especially when it gets to kids, that's just too much for people to stomach. Like people can deny all they want to about like what drag queen story hour is. But I'm sorry, when you see a toddler passing out dollar bills to a man dancing in a thong and fake boobs, like most rational people are like, okay, nope, we've gone. We've gone off the deep end here. There's something that we got to do to get it back. And honestly, the backlash, it it, it might be intense. I don't know what that's going to look like. But when you push people too far, I don't know. We'll see. But I am hopeful as well that things can turn around, at least on this issue. And you will have had um, a big part to play in that and just the reporting that you and Anna do. By the way, Anna is a hilarious person. I encourage everyone to follow her. Like, I love following her. She's just really, really, really funny. Um, So thank you. Thank you so much for the work you do and for taking the time to come on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. And I just want to say, you know, Redux, we're a team. There are several of us. I'm only just speaking here today. But, you know, we have Anna Slats and we have Shay Willihan. So, you know, I'm not the only one. Yeah. And we're all working on this together. So. Good. Thank you again for having me. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of y'all. So thanks so much.
All right, guys, I hope that you enjoyed both parts of that episode. Maybe enjoyed isn't the right word to use because I know it is so dark, but I know that you also learned a lot from it and it really does equip us to face the spiritual darkness that this is. And gosh, God's way is better. His order is good. I mean, this goes all the way back to the perversion of Genesis 1. It's really just a different iteration of what we see in Romans 1, which was true thousands of years ago. People always trying to find identity and purpose and power and profit uh, in something other than what God calls good. And we as Christians have to stand against it. It's part of our role here. It's part of how we glorify the Lord. Um, all right. On Monday, we will finally be talking about the midterms. I've I've been wanting to talk about it. And then I was sick earlier this week. And so I didn't get that episode on Wednesday to be able to do that. And so there is a lot that we have not been able to cover because we've also had great guests and other things that we had to talk about. We had the Reformation episode. And so on Monday, we are going to talk politics. We're going to talk about the midterms and what's coming up in the election and the stakes there. So make sure that you tune in for that. And I hope everyone has a great weekend. Thank you.